What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool and a little different, and we're going to see what's going on. But I think I, I already like it. Um, everyone's hello to Tim Baltis. How are you, Tim? Hey, man, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the pod. Yeah, no, most definitely. Uh, I, we can hear it in your voice. Let the people know. Where are you from? Oh, yeah, it's a quintessential Wisconsin accent there. Uh, I'm in the southeast corner of the state in Kenosha, which is like right in between Milwaukee and Chicago. Most definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Chicago. I don't know if I've ever played a show in Milwaukee, though, on tour. Um, I mean, I'll ask just, I guess, right off the bat for people who don't know, Tim is a fantastic drummer. Um, and him and I came kind of came across via Instagram. Um, I'll get into that a little bit. But uh, growing up, you know, as a musician, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're stuck between two pretty dope cities. Were you playing there growing up as a kid? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I started gigging out when I was 12 and by the time I got a license and a car, uh, well, my mom, she didn't want me leaving the city, but you know, I'd tell her I'm playing on the far North side of Kenosha and I'd be in like green Bay or I'd be like, I'm on the South side of town and I'd be South of Chicago. So, you know, I, what are you going to do? But Hey, you know what? Thank God I'm still here and I'm still alive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a great experience as a kid being right here because there's, there's so much to do musically, um, especially because it's, it's very interesting. So you go south near Chicago, it's your quintessential big city music scene, right? Clubs and bars and, uh, you know. And, and, and a blues even specifically south side of Chicago. It, it is. And, and funny enough, when we were when I was a kid, I was, uh, you know, 16, 17 in the mid 2000s. And so it was hot then was like hardcore music, metalcore, all that kind of stuff. And so that had a hop and scene there. But yeah. what was really interesting is when you went far north into Wisconsin, in all these rural cities, funny enough, they had huge death metal scenes because oh, there's nothing else There's nothing else for these kids to do. Yeah. So they're making music and, and having all their friends who don't play music come and watch them do this thing. So it was, you know, we would have turnouts of, you know, 50 to 100 people sometimes in, in Chicago. But then you'd go up north. And you'd play to four or five hundred kids in a night. It was amazing. Amazing. Was the, well, um, when you said like, you know, hardcore death metal, that kind of stuff, was that the kind of music you were playing? Uh, yeah, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, I started out playing punk and uh, I played bass in bands. I didn't start playing drums till I was 15. Yeah. And um, and that was when I started playing that sort of hardcore and metal stuff. And that took off till uh, my early 20s. Uh, and then I refocused and I've been focusing on kind of groove and like musical drumming ever since. Uh, were you doing any touring back then or did you guys hit the road at all? No. So, I mean, we did the weekend warrior thing yeah, for yeah. sure, but you know, more than anything, it was, it was interesting because so at the end of high school, uh, two different bands asked me to tour and I had to turn it down. Uh, I went to college and, uh, I never got that opportunity. I still haven't toured. Uh, the beautiful thing is that through the internet and this sort of presence I built on Instagram is I've been I've been able to really connect with a lot of people, uh, whether they were friends who continued to tour while we while I went to college yeah. or, you know, people I admired or just general people who are who are working musicians now. And so even though I haven't toured, I've had some amazing tour like experiences. Uh, one of my best friends uh is uh, is joe cox who is the drum tech for uh, uh catfish and the bottlemen okay yeah this rock, rock band and you know like 
for example, they were in Chicago one time and uh, he hit me up a few weeks beforehand. He said, hey, uh, we, we picked up a date uh, opening for Green Day in Chicago. Do you want to come and hang out? You know, like oh, I'll okay. get a, a, a two bed hotel room. And so I literally got to stay in the hotel with my buddies. And then we got to uh, explore. We had all access to Wrigley Field. So like, you know, they're British. So oh, I'm, wow. Was that Wrigley? So, Hell yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, these guys are British, so they don't know what the heck anything is. I'm like, all right, Joe, we got to go touch the ivy at the end of the field. We're going to sit dead center, first row behind home plate, just to say we've done it yeah. and run around the whole place. And it was it was just, you know, to have those kind of experiences, despite not actually touring. You know, I get all the I get all the best parts of touring, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had, you know, I'm, I, I was the touring musician who was the dude in the van. Um, again, the reason we're talking is uh, the drummer from that band, um, one of the best drummers that I, I know in the Bay Area, my buddy Blake Ritterman. Again, he's the one who talk you know introduced us um but i was touring with him and you know it was the kind of thing you know we were pulling up to fucking helena montana on a tuesday night to play in front of four people three of them being the other band you know so i've done <laughs> i i did that but through all that you know again it's how you meet people in this life you never know what's going to happen and i've had instances yeah I'm, i mean i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it where buddies of mine have brought me around big venues um, and you know, they show you like the secret rooms and, you know, where people actually really get high and shit like that. And, you know, and it's like, it's a blast, man. Um, you know, the rock and roll spectrum is just, there's, it's so wide. Um, but uh, since it's so wide, I kind of want to narrow it back down to you. And I have some questions I kind of wanted to ask you, um, being this, you know, I guess the presence on Instagram being, you know, pretty, pretty strong. It seems like you kind of created a niche thing in what it is that you're trying to do. Um, Maybe you could explain it a little bit better, but to the casual observant like myself, um, you know, you just posted a system of a down video, uh, you know, so it's like you have the technical skill playing all these songs and then you'll post a video of you're, you're eating, I think, like Drake's cakes and things like that. So uh, how did this all come about? I mean, is that just your personality coming out on camera? So slowly, slowly, that's exactly what it was. So uh, I, I actually had a, uh, a corporate career for a while in copywriting. And so, you know, having this background in business writing, I think really kind of allowed me to uh, better understand. You are a writer. Uh, I am a writer. <laughs> I am a writer. So, you know, I better understand uh, how, how to brand. I better understand how to find my audience, what they look like and how to better, you know, draw them in. And so it's really just been an experiment in building a brand. And part of that for me, I've talked about this on other podcasts and, uh, in my consulting work now, and that's uh, the importance of authenticity. So um, as an example, uh, you know, really on the most basic level, when we think about drummers like Fred Armisen, who, uh, you know, here's the guy who he did SNL for years. He literally did a, a stand-up special called Stand Up for Drummers. And uh, people view him, I, I like to think, as the funny guy who plays drums. And I would rather view myself in a more uh, serious light with the drumming. So I try to brand myself at its most basic level as the drummer who is also funny. Mm -hmm. And so always that music is going to be the focus. Um, I post videos where I, I focus on both my playing and then the production I have uh, in my little recording uh, space. And then uh, at night, usually I have videos that are, they're, they're, they're still popular, but they're, 
nearly as popular as the drumming videos. You're, which you're, are, sorry, not to cut you off. You're you're paying attention to these metrics. You're saying you're seeing what's popular, and you're going to be curating things to that. A hundred percent. And so, um, even, so even with the drumming stuff, it, on the drumming level, it's more uh, mainstream appeal is generally going to have. Uh, better results. So like I posted a Van Halen cover the other day. Sometimes I'll post System of a Down. But I'll also try to open people's minds to these other bands. I just did a couple covers of bands you probably never heard of, like Kid Crash, which is this sort of weird uh, emo-y math rock post-hardcore thing that's like yeah. super weird and good. <clears throat> um, and then uh, I did another cover of a guy who lived in Kenosha, and he's like a flavor scientist now. He's uh, His name's Pete Davis, and he has a math rock band called Invalids. So these are this is the sort of content that sometimes I'll 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 shuffle into the mix, um, but it's having mainstream appeal on that level. And part of me trying to do this comedy stuff, whether it's uh, comedy on drums or sitting on the drum set and like reviewing foods like those Drake cakes, um, it's another part of my personality. I've always been you know this sort of uh, boisterous funny guy uh you know whether it's at parties or at shows or whatever and and so that's kind of showcasing uh that part of me to the public um it's not as popular yet but the whole goal of having this other layer uh where it's two videos a day generally two videos a day drums in the morning funny at night is that i'm hoping to have some more appeal to just general people and it happens there are uh couples who share my funny videos at night. Um, and there are whole families. There's a family out near Seattle, Washington, uh, six kids and a pair of parents. And they they all watch my silly videos together and sing the little songs and this sort of thing to each other or use the catch lines. Uh, Mark Juliana, his, uh, he's a drummer. He played on David Bowie's last record, playing with St. Vincent right now, uh, has sent me videos of his, his son like, just like screaming well, that, some that, of the words. And that's what it is, right? I mean, you know, literally one day you can wake up and, you know, the shortstop from the Chicago Cubs can hear your video and share it. And then boom, the next thing you, you know, so that's kind of the world we're living in. But it's dope that you're breaking it down and people can hear this because, again, I mean, in the world of the Internet, the, you know, there's so much fucking shit. Everyone's got a podcast. Everyone's got a thing. Everyone's doing this and they all want you to know about it. But it, again, you can, you kind of see like the dude who's just kind of like i'm gonna do my thing if you guys are into it you're gonna be into it but you're good at it and that's what people need to realize you're not fucking around you're putting time and energy into this stuff a hundred percent you know i've been i've been studying comedy since i was a kid you know i was the kid who was growing up watching ace ventura trying to talk out of my butt you know and then i was uh you know, i got my first drum set when i was three i uh kind of set it aside started piano at eight bass at 12, guitar at about 12, 13, and then drums finally again. Seriously, at 15, I've been playing now full-time uh, drums for 16 years. I'm 31 now. And so, you know, I just had a DM the other day. Someone said, you know, it's, it's so funny. You still get these questions as a grown dude, and you're like, someone says, uh, how are you so good at drums? And it's <laughs> like, man, I still shed, you know, I... And when I'm, you know, doing well, I'm shedding an hour to three hours a day still. And I think that that's, it's necessary what, what, with whatever you're trying to do, whether it's the comedy stuff, if it's the funny video editing, if it's the mixing of drums, playing drums, whatever you do, it's, uh, it just comes down to practice, putting in the hours, I think. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do you get a lot of feedback about technical stuff? I mean, are, I'm assuming you got a lot of drum heads in there, people commenting on your gear, even how you record. I mean, how do you record all this stuff? What kind of software do you use? Sure. You know, I get those questions all the time and I tend not to focus on the gear. I try to put so much of it back on the player because I come from this kind of DIY punk thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, as much as I, uh, I'm, I'm into the gear and I know the gear and I know what works for me. I don't necessarily talk about it a lot. I, part of that too, is because the drumming language that I use, you know, I, I teach, a I teach. And, and one of my main lessons, a lot of people come for a one-off lesson on how do you build your fills, you know, these sort of quick, uh, really fast, intricate parts between the drum beats. And I actually use writing language in that. So I'm like, well, we take, you know, these uh, syllables and turn them into words, you know, syllables being, you know, three to four note patterns that I'm playing with my hands. I'm going to turn those into words where we string these syllables together. Eventually we're creating sentences and now we have these well-formed paragraphs. So even there, it's like bringing this writing element in. And so it's not thinking about these things in traditional ways. It's not thinking about, well, if, uh, you know, if I have such and such pieces of gear, then I know I'm going to sound good. Well, it's, let's try to make whatever the heck you got sound good. Um, I do try to use easy uh, things that make my workflow quicker, more efficient, and just easier on me. So I'm all Mac. I run Logic for my recording software. I do. Yeah. And then I use, uh, I use Universal Audio, Apollo interfaces, which, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, they're very expensive, incredibly yeah. expensive. But now I have, you know, this much gear that takes, you know, I, I could I could take up a whole room with the same set of gear if I turned all this stuff into hardware versus just having these two yeah. uh, little units here. Um, they sound great. There's so much versatility in the types of sounds I'm able to get out of it. And that's what it is for me. I want efficiency and ease of use. Those are two biggest things that I try to get out of my gear. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, well, now my brain is just swirling with questions, but, uh, one of the things, one of the videos I saw you post recently, or one of the videos I came across is you were at um, a, a music store. Are you kind of local? I mean, are you set people are aware of you in the town and things like that and what you're kind of building? And I mean, you, are you walking to the drum shop and be like, Hey, I'm going to set up some shit. Let's do this. Or, uh, so, so actually that relationship started because, uh, getting through college, my undergrad, um, I actually worked in a music store for five years. Oh, yeah, so I, I still have too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's, uh, and I ha I still have a great relationship with the owners and most it's of the great employees. There, they are. Yeah, it's it's a great thing. You know, uh, it both of them. I, I there's one here in town in Kenosha, the one that I work yeah. at, and then uh, in the same system, same owners. There's one in uh, Southwest Milwaukee in a town called Greenfield, and I filmed at both of them. Last year, I filmed a lot at both of them. Um, and it's great guys, great set of guys and gals. And I, I've just been so fortunate to maintain that relationship. So, but as far as being known around town, what's still so interesting is like, I can, you know, I can go to these shops and no one besides the, you know, the guys I know, uh, I, I don't really get recognized that much. It's when I go to the bigger cities, if I go to, uh, you know, I, I, the first time I went to Portland, Oregon, I stopped in Revival Drum Shop. And uh, one guy who was from Portland immediately recognized me. And another guy who was just happened to be vacationing there from Kansas City, Missouri, freaking recognized me and, and, and knew who I was. So, you know, there's uh, 
it's very interesting when you become this sort of like niche micro celebrity. Very uh, niche. <laughs> very niche, you know, super niche micro celebrity. I think it is, you know, I think uh, some people like to go wide. I tend to like to go deep. And so for me, it is about uh, developing this voice in the community as uh, sort of the, the reprieve from the regular, you know, you go on drum Instagram and it's literally so many guys are just out there uh, playing these really fast technical things and they have a super straight face on. And, and here I am, you know, like screaming into the camera and, you know, joking and throwing gear as, you know, at this sort of stupid stuff to say that, Hey, it's okay that we, we don't have to be serious all the time or just grooving, you know, playing the groove over a Sheryl Crow song to show that like, Hey, we don't have to play this super technical stuff all the time. The super simple stuff has always worked musically. And you know what? It sounds great. And it's hard to do too. It's hard to do well, right? Yes. Um, yes. You know, I mean, you know, anyone theoretically can write a Neil Young song and I could play a GCD progression, but if I give that guitar to Neil Young, it's going to be different, you know? Um, yes. I want to go back to, you kind of blew my mind. I want to go get a little more technical. When you were talking about your drum fills and how you were saying you, you give it a language and you add syllables and things like that. And I've always, you know, I've been a guitar player my whole life and guitarists always want to be drummers. That's always the thing, right? We always want to get behind a drum set and just beat the shit out. But I, none of us know what we're doing. But with music and guitar and bass and piano, we actually have these things called notes, right? That have letters and they're you know how they work and we won't get into that but there's a map in musicians minds that we can work with drummers have notes right but they're obviously tempo notes did you kind of was that something that was taught to you did you kind of come up with that idea is that a th common thing in drummers to think in syllables when it comes to drum i've never heard of that before no not at all and so the kind of the theory that i put around it is not traditional music theory Traditional music theory, as it, re as it relates to drums, is they, they do have syllables. They call them rudiments. Mm -hmm. And I use some of these traditional rudiments, you know, which is basically just some sort of uh, mixture between single hits and double hits with the right or left hand. Um, I don't tend to use that language. I've kind of, I've used these different pieces of different rudiments to create my own sort of language around them. Uh, but more than anything, the way that I've developed this is just listening to music forever and playing music forever. You know, even when I was 12, 13 years old, it wasn't that we were uh, necessarily playing covers. When I was playing guitar in a band, yeah, we were playing covers there and writing little songs. But when I was playing bass in this band, we had this older kid in the, in the band who played guitar with us. And he would say, all right, Tim, you know, I was playing bass. He said, use your bass and... Uh, provide something just play a riff and i'm 12 years old like i don't know what the heck to do yeah. and i had to figure it out on the spot so from that point forward it was that i had to invent a way to play i invented a way to play on bass that sounded uh in my opinion far beyond what a 12 year old might be doing on bass with the means that i had and and, and that was kind of what i took to drumming i've taken five, maybe six drum lessons in the 15 years I've been playing. And most of those have simply focused on how do you hold a stick and how do you throw a stick so that you, you can play for a long time without hurting yourself. It's n almost never focused on what are the different patterns that someone uses? How do I sound like this guy or that guy? I figure that out on my own and turn it into my own thing beyond that. 
Yeah, that reminds me immediately of, um, I don't know if you're a big Rolling Stones fan, but Keith in his book talked about how he pretty much learned to kind of how to play the guitar to how Charlie Watts played the drums because Charlie Watt plays, he has this kind of, ba- I, I can't describe it, but it's like this back drag right on the hi-hat that he does. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, 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 yeah, he does yeah, that weird thing. Yeah, he talks about how he pretty much had to learn how to play guitar differently to match Charlie Watts' style of drum playing. That's uh, that's really interesting. You bring that up. I'm a big Stones fan, yeah. and uh, it's that's one of one of my favorite experiences in life. A good friend of mine, John Perrin, he plays uh, with a legacy act called NRBQ. He also plays with um, uh, the Beatle band that uh, George Harrison's sister puts together. What's that called? So uh, oh gosh, now you're I don't even know he had a sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what uh, I forget what the name of the band is. That's uh, something like uh, Liverpool Legends, I think. Maybe I think that George Harrison's sisters band. Yeah, yeah, George Harrison's <laughs> sisters band. And so, um, you know, he's he's done a lot of things, and he has he's made a lot of friends. And one of those friends is uh, the drum tech for the Stones. So oh, we wow. this in mid 2019. Uh, I got invited to go see the Stones with him, and we got to go up on stage. I uh, I touched Keith's amp, and you know, got to see Charlie's kit and everything. But seeing them perform live, you know, I mean, how long have they been playing together now? Sixty freaking years, you know, like having to play with someone for that long, even though these guys are are old as can be. It's amazing how, particularly Keith and uh, Charlie, still click so tight i mean that's the band um it is it's the band i mean i saw the stones one time giants the old giant stadium uh in jersey 2000 shit either four or six so and i mean i've seen fish over a hundred times you know i you know i've been to a lot of concerts Top top five in every aspect you could ever have ever in a concert. I mean, no one's ever. They are the greatest rock and roll band of all time. I mean, for people to say otherwise, I don't know how you can at this point. Um, if you, it, it, taste aside of the music, I mean, they've been doing it for sixty fucking years. Yeah, I, mean, I think Mick Jagger works out four times a day at this point. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, no, he's insane. I mean, well, speaking of Instagram, he's got a savage Instagram account. Uh, I mean, every I'll have to look that up. I've never seen that. Oh, yeah, too. I mean, well, he's what, almost 80 years old and he has to, yeah. he still runs around the stage. Um, it's crazy. So uh, your website also kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but your website also mentions that you also do, you know, remote work, obviously, studio work, uh, but you also do some film work too, Yeah. So uh, all the work that I've done is, yeah, it's, it's basically, I worked with uh, an audio company called Moonwalk Audio for years, uh, a guy named Adam Gubman. Adam works uh, with everyone from video game companies uh-huh. to TV and even film too. So I've been very, yeah, it's, it's a, he is one of the top video game music producers in the world and a uh, very, very, very talented guy. And we started working together in 2016. And uh, from, I think he asked me, hey, man, have you ever done uh, remote session work? And I said, yeah, I've done that. I lied through my teeth, man. But I knew I was ready. And I was just hoping someone would give me a shot. And he did. And I did uh, the soundtrack to a a Wicked, the Wizard of Oz play, uh, uh, Slot Machine. 
Okay. Oh, cool. So it started there. That went, you know, that was successful. So that I'm went, sorry, physical like Vegas slot machine. Yeah, yeah. As far as my understanding, there are wicked slot machines out there with my freaking drumming on them. And then uh, after that uh, was video game soundtracks. So a lot of like Zynga, which are the Farmville people, uh, and independent SF, games. You know that. Yeah, they're SF. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's that, uh, and then that turned into like TV stuff. So like Fox specials. There was. Uh, I worked on the pre-pro for the um, the Christmas, and they turned the Christmas story into a live musical, uh, one of my favorite movies ever. So that was super cool. I've done Charlie Brown sanctioned video games where the Schultz family had to like approve our music, insane. And then um, the biggest stuff, I, oh, I did Disney shows. There were uh, soundtracks to three Disney shows, two at the Japan park, and I think one or two at uh, on the cruise line. And then I also worked on the pre-pro for, well, I did background music, I think, in the Baywatch movie. And then I worked on the pre-pro for that song that went, went on to win the Grammy from uh, The Greatest Showman. So, like, all that from this one relationship, which was amazing. And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to do that. Is that something you'd like to do more of? You know, it's, uh, I'm really thankful I had that experience. Uh, when you get to, um the higher level stuff, the Fox and the Disney, yeah. the, the money gets ex exponentially better, um, which is nice. Um, but it was never a full-time living for me. I was still in 50, 60 hours a week at my corporate gig. Um, the whole time I was doing my most, uh, I guess you could say prolific work in that sense. Now moving forward, um, I've actually been in talks uh, with several different drum industry companies about working full-time uh, marketing, copywriting, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, I'm hoping something really big is going to be coming out in the next uh, few weeks here about that. Uh, and beyond that, uh, you know, if that doesn't work out, I'm still, even if this does work out and if it doesn't work out either way, I'm going to be, uh, continuing to push, uh, the education route. Um, you know, I think I have a lot to offer, whether it's, uh, playing wise or recording, or understanding how to build a little social media thing. And so that's gonna be the focus. I, I, I uh, when I was originally going to college, I was going to college to be an English teacher. Oh, okay. And th the only reason I'm not is because the, the governor at the time gutted all of our uh, labor unions for teachers. So I was like, well, I'm not gonna make any money doing this and they're gonna work me to my bone. So I figure uh, that's why I went into copywriting. But now, I've, yeah, education, man, it's always been a passion of mine. And I, I feel like, I've got the audience uh, that could at least, you know, if I got, I got 26,000 freaking people on Instagram, if I can get uh, 40 or 60 of them to sign up for weekly lessons, I'm, I'm a happy camp. So I, we, do you know who Bob Leftsets is? Not offhand, no. Bob Leftsets writes a thing called the Leftsets Letter. It's a, in music industry letter he's been writing for since 1986. You know, he's a fucking big dude. We had, he was on the podcast. He's an old curmudgeon guy. He's great. I mean, he, he literally knows ev everyone. Um, everyone. Uh, but one of his big things is he always talks about it. And I've always thought about this too. And doc, you know the band Dr. Dog? Yeah, yeah. This is what I think about this band. is like, you know, the idea, it's a numbers game. If you can get a thousand fans who are willing to spend a hundred dollars a year on you, that's a hundred thousand, right? So like that's, Pure simple math. It seems like that's kind of what you're talking about. Um, you know, if you can get X amount to do this because you're giving out that, why not do it, right? 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's yeah, it's totally a numbers game. And what's so beautiful is that with the advent of social media, it's you have you know like in in the drum world. Uh, at the bottom, you could think about uh, teaching and education. You could think about entities like uh, people who are teaching at School of Rock. You know, here you're making fifteen, maybe twenty dollars an hour uh, teaching. And then at the very, very tip-top, now you have entities like uh, Drumeo. Drumeo is a great example, which is this platform online. You pay a fee and you get access behind a paywall to watch all these drum education videos through the year. Um, and then there's this interesting middle. So like at the top of the middle, you have educators like Mike Johnston, who does like a Drumeo model. So here's who's posting all these videos online, but then he adds camps and all this. But it's like a one-man show. It's him and his wife doing the whole thing. And then... There's, you know, the rest of us, like, what can, you know, uh, Mark Juliana, another good example, David Bowie's drummer through Patreon and lessons. This guy's making a whole living now and he can gig when he wants to gig and he doesn't have to gig when he doesn't want to gig. And so it's, it's, it creates this freedom. I think that is, uh, it's really powerful for, for all of us, uh, whether there's a pandemic or not, especially during the pandemic though. Are drummers utilizing Patreon? Yes. Uh, the two big ones uh, I'm aware of are uh, Dan Weiss and Mark Juliana, who are basically, uh, you could think of them as sort of the quintessential music school jazz types of dudes. Okay. Um, you know, there's uh, there are entities then like sound, there's a, a company called Sounds Like a Drum, uh, which is a very interesting educational platform uh, that a couple guys I know are doing, and they've been doing well with Patreon. Um, and, and what's nice about Patreon is, you know, if you have a YouTube platform for long, long form content, plus the Patreon now between the YouTube ad revenue, uh, partnership revenue and the Patreon, now you're, you're really able to do some damage, yeah. which is, uh, it's, it's so interesting, uh, how, how all of these things have shifted, uh, education, teaching and entertainment in the drum industry, particularly in the last five-ish years. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, it's, especially to go back to the Patreon thing, I mean, there are people making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on Patreon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's great because, you know, not to you know suck off Patreon, but it's cool because, you know, they have, you can do the tiers, right? You can do the $5 tier, the $10 tier, the $20 tier. And, you know, I know some people don't like to talk about money, but at the end of the day, you got to buy that sweatshirt you're wearing, you know? That's uh -huh. right, yeah. And it's what it is. And, and, and if you're stoked on the product that you're putting out there, I think people will be stoked to spend the money on that product. It's really what, kind of what it comes down to. A hundred percent. You know, I've been selling, uh, one of the things I've been selling for a few years now are drumless practice tracks. So basically it's like a, a music bed that instead of like playing to a metronome where you do this click going and going, which is, it gets boring after about five minutes. Now you have a music bed, which is more complicated because you're trying to play around musical uh, melodies and rhythms and uh, trying to craft a drum part <clears throat> that really fits appropriately. And the beautiful thing about the way that I've structured that is it's almost in the same way that Patreon is. You can pay whatever the heck you want. Yeah. There are plenty of people that I, I put a $0 price tag on this thing. Yeah. And you can pay zero. There's plenty of people who pay $1, $5, dollars $5 a volume, sometimes 10 or a lot of people who pay 10 or $20 a volume. And then there are some people who are uh, generous enough to, to donate you know, fifty, a hundred dollars for some of these packs, and what I I like about structuring it that way is it's not necessarily about you buying the product, but it's simply then about 
how much do you want to support this person who's doing something that you like? Yes. Do you like it enough for to pay a dollar? Do you like it enough to pay five, 10, 50, a hundred? You know, you can pay whatever you feel comfortable paying. And at the end of the day, that money is going to keep me doing the things that I love that they love too. It's the definition of capitalism, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. And on that note, I think we should probably end it there. Dude, this has been a blast, man. Um, I always kind of ask a couple of questions at the end of this. Um, you're not a, a writer per se, but you can still give out some shout outs. Uh, usually I ask where do people buy their books from, but where do you buy your music from? Where, what, what were the shops we were talking about before you never uh, named them? Oh, so uh, as far as music, oh, the music gear shops? Yeah. Oh, oh, music around in Kenosha and uh, Greenfield, great shops if you're ever looking for used gear. If you're looking to support me, uh, uh, there's a link to my drumless tracks on my Instagram, which is Timbo from Kino, T-I-M-B-O-F-R-O-M-K-E-N-O. Uh, I'm always posting content and funny content on there. There's something for everyone. Uh, so uh, if anyone wants to check that out, I appreciate it. Um, that's the main thing. Uh, you'll probably see me on YouTube sooner than later. I have a couple dead channels there now if you want to see some really bad content. Uh, and other, other than that, I guess, yeah, that, that closes it out. You're going to be, I'm sorry, you're, uh, you're re-upping the YouTube page or putting it back? Eventually, yeah, I'm going to be looking to get back into long-form content uh, as the advent of my education stuff comes uh, to fruition. So that'll be, that'll be coming in the near future for sure. Tim, what a blast, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to yeah. you. Thank you so much for having me on, man. This was really nice. Not a doubt. Yeah, now when I'm coming through Wisconsin, I'll make sure we uh, link up. Yeah, dude. Cheese, cheese rocks. I'm into it. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, man. All right, peace. Oh, 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 oh,